Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. Today's episode features an interview between Matt Trefiro and Ivo Avanov, CEO at D6 International. Ivo is responsible for the global business activities of the internet exchange operator. He has more than 15 years of experience in the regulatory, legal, and commercial internet environment. Ranked as one of the top 100 most influential professionals in the telecom industry, Ivo is regularly invited to share his vision and thought leadership in various industry-leading conferences around the globe. In this episode, Ivo talks about interconnection, how it differs throughout the world, and the importance of expansion, especially in developing countries. He discusses how the Edge interconnection platform is a missing piece to help enable many advancements and innovations in everyday life, in areas like automobiles and technology. Ivo also explains what he thinks the technology industry will look like in five years down the road. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. I often get asked what shows are the best to attend, and one of my favorite live events to recommend is Edge Computing World. It's a great place to network and catch up on the latest in Edge Computing. They have top-notch keynotes and panels and an expansive show floor. I plan to be there both days this year, October 10th and 11th in Santa Clara. In fact, we'll be recording an episode of Over the Edge live on stage with one of the keynote presenters. You can get tickets at edgecomputingworld.com, and as an Over the Edge listener, you can snag a 25% discount just by using the code OTE25. At checkout. Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with Edge solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com for more information or click on the link in the show notes. And now, please enjoy this interview between Matt Trefiro and Ivo Avanov, CEO at D6 International. One of the questions I'd love to ask my guests first is, how did you even get into technology? I got into technology very early, media technology, actually in the 90s during my high school times where I started a radio show at the weekend. Oh, really? Yeah, I was at school and started a radio show, afterwards a TV show for an year. And this brought me a kind of uh, into technology, of course. Not telecommunications, right? Obviously not, but media in general. This was the first kind of a experience done with also digitalization, digitalization of audio, digitalization of video, as the first features came out, etc. And usage of content, of course, not in 1995 in the way we do see today, but at least first steps they have been done at that point of time. And later on, during my low studies, because this is the professional background I have, I focused and specialized on telecoms and media law. And where did you develop that specialty? In two universities. I started in Sofia, Bulgaria, the first year of my low studies. And afterwards, I continued in Bonn, in Germany. You've been with DKIX for almost 15 years, right? A while. And actually, I started my career at DKIX as a general corporate counsel. A- attorney? Yeah. Yeah, that was okay. the, that, that was the beginning. I got so excited about the industry itself, about this magic related to telecommunications and the magic around the internet itself. Then I started learning a lot of the business, the industry, infrastructure, interconnection, data centers, BGP, all this internet exchanges. Got more and more experienced also about yeah the bits and the bytes uh, of everything around this. And over the time, 
obviously changed my career from attorney and corporate counsel career into a, a management one. And the one reason, and this is something probably very special, how I got more into the business side of the industry was the fact that at that point of time, in Frankfurt, around 2006-07, we started approaching Eastern European network operators to connect in Frankfurt, meeting or interconnecting, how we call it today, with network operators from the Western Hemisphere, US-based guys or guys from Western Europe. So Frankfurt became suddenly the gateway to Eastern Europe, or in other words, the heart, telecommunications heart of Europe, where West started meeting East, right? And I speak Russian and I speak Bulgarian because these are my roots. So a couple of Eastern European languages. And this was a kind of a fortunate situation. So you're the interconnector. You're the interconnector of the interconnection. Yeah. I needed to help out with the first meetings in different languages. And that brought me so close to the business. I was excited by and fascinated by. You're wearing your enthusiasm on your face. It's really fun to see that. You know, I come from a software world, and so infrastructure is relatively new to me, too. And I had that same experience. It's like, wow, because I've always said the Internet is like the cloud. It's this amorphous thing. It's just kind of out there. It's bits and bytes. It's all digital. But no, the Internet has physical presence. Like, it exists in certain places and not in other places. And data needs to travel across, you know, it's like it's a whole different way of thinking of the world and viewing. It's like those, they do, you ever seen those cross sections of New York City where they show you all the layers and how the system works? But you're just like up on top driving in your car. It's like, what? how does this even happen? So, you know, interconnection is this really common term that we all talk about, but I don't even today feel like I completely understand it. So could you help us understand what interconnection is and why it's important? Interconnection states for bringing networks together. The A side talks to the B side. And we have in general two types of networks in very general sense, right? Mm -hmm. We have the so-called outbound networks, traffic outbound networks, those networks who do create mostly the content, right? Netflix, Amazon, Google, Facebook, you name them. All of those networks, gaming networks, all of those networks, they are on the application side right, in general. And we have the inbound networks. Those are the networks who do deliver internet access to our homes and offices. So interconnection is the connectivity between these networks or the way they meet, they interconnect, or they get connected. The best way to do it is the direct one, obviously, right? Without intermediates, where Netflix network connects directly with the network on the last mile. Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, all the guys who deliver internet access to our homes, to our living rooms, to our offices, but also the mobile operators, like the guys who deliver 3G, 4G, 5G connectivity, ideally, to our mobile devices. And this is what we call interconnection. Actually, connectivity between networks. And uh, asking me about interconnection, I must say interconnection is so close related to the term of an internet exchange because the internet exchange or the abbreviation IX, what the company I'm working for stays for DKX now for 27 years and the network who delivers access to the internet, to these applications, they do interconnect directly without intermediates. The best way to describe an interconnection platform actually is the analogy to an airport. 
as the airport operator. It's not an airline operator. It's just the operator of infrastructure where the different airlines, they can land their planes and exchange passengers and luggage, right? So that's what we do for the internet. We are not an airline, so we are not a network operator. In my analogy, the airlines with internet networks make sense. So we operate airports with internet where the network operators are the airlines. They are connected directly to the platform and exchange a lot of data packages, tons of data. So at some point, you know, I, I think about the evolution of the internet and, you know, it started with, you know, two, two computers, one in Palo Alto and one, I remember what the other one yeah. was Los Angeles or something. And the internet connection back in the original days, and I'm sort of hypothesizing, but I believe this is true based on my reading of the history, was the government connecting the networks together, right? Mm -hmm. And at some point that was turned over to more private entities. Is that when the business opportunity for companies like DKICS emerged was when it became not so much a governmental regulated activity, but something where networks had to figure out how to connect and a service for doing that emerged? Is that how that happened? Yeah, quite close to the reality because in 1995, mm -hmm. DKICS has founded in Frankfurt, established in Frankfurt in Germany, one of the, or the first platform of DKICS, and has been established with three customers at the beginning only. Those three network operators were connected as the first free one to the platform for localizing their traffic exchange. But why 1995? Almost uh, close to what you just explained, because 1995 was the time where the commercial internet started to grow, right? But this was the time where the commercialization of the internet, creating it more as a product for consumers, for businesses, etc., began to happen. And these were the days where more and more internet service providers, they were established or appeared on the landscape. And with the number of different service providers with products on the market, like internet access for first emails and email accounts and very simple browsing, the network operators, they realized that localization and interconnection in general. So the desire for better localization for better connectivity control and quality, but also costs is so important. So at this point in time, everything was interconnected in the US in 1995. So what the guys did is they created a platform in Frankfurt where direct local interconnection can happen without sending the bits and the bytes across the Atlantic. Oh, that's interesting. So are you saying, you saying that prior to DKICS, if I was like the Frank equivalent of Netflix and I created all this amazing content that if I wanted to get it to a subscriber in Berlin, I'd have to send it to the United States? This is absolutely correct. Okay. So when you say local traffic exchange, you mean literally so that Frankfurt can go directly to Berlin or close, close enough of a direct path? No, it's more than, uh, we should talk about local, especially if it comes to these organizations more in the sense of a couple of hundreds kilometers to a thousand, this is where localization still makes sense. I'm talking about normal applications, but we'll get into this probably talking about the trends and the innovation and the future in the market. But localization in a broader sense, yes, Frankfurt does certainly the trick for the normal type of applications where we talk about streaming, we're talking about general data availability, for sure for Germany and beyond Germany. So in Frankfurt, we do see more than 1,500 networks connected to the platform in Frankfurt in a range of uh, approximately 2,000 kilometers. So this still do the trick for, let's say, commodity applications, 
What do you mean by 2,000 kilometers? That means that networks, for instance, access networks from Eastern Europe, they're connected to Frankfurt, interconnecting with applications in Frankfurt. So there are places on the planet that are more interconnected. And there are places on the planet that are less interconnected. And so Eastern Europe is probably less interconnected than the United States. It's probably a fair statement. So what you're saying is that I don't mean Eastern Europe, even though Frankfurt may not seem close from the speed of light perspective, it's closer than whenever else I'm going to get my internet. Yeah, absolutely correct. But I just gave the example of the 90s and the millennium years. Uh, a lot of things changed over time as we mm -hmm. have now 2022. We have seen, fortunately, a lot of interconnection infrastructure. Plaquics ones have been created in Eastern Europe as well. As mm -hmm. we know that companies like Netflix, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, just to <laughs> throw a couple of names on the table, content-heavy networks, they also have extended their network network presence, their point of presences in Eastern Europe and beyond, right? Today, Dekix operates almost 40 different platforms on four continents. In the US, we have five different markets, New York, Chicago, Dallas, Phoenix, Richmond, and more to come. In Europe, we operate 14. In the Middle East, we have platforms in India, in Asia. Why? Because exactly what you just said, under developed regions from the interconnection point of view, they needed to be upgraded infrastructure-wise, and we will see this need even more in the future, what we call edge, that it's not enough to serve the hubs, cities like Frankfurt, New York, LA, Miami, Berlin, Sofia in Bulgaria is a kind of a hub for the Balkans. Really, interconnection really needs to get deeper into the edge for one very simple reason, quality, security, performance in general, or a magic world of latency. Latency is extremely important nowadays. I love to say latency is our new currency. I know. That was one of the quotes that I saw, and I saw it in one of your articles that you wrote too. And I think, so let's talk about a, a lot there to unpack. Okay. So first, let's talk a little bit about why is the trend to move the interconnection point closer to the end user or the device and what's driving that? One simple answer, performance, quality of experience. If we look into all the applications we all love as private users, but we all need and love and enjoy as business users as well, based on cloud technology, cloud compute, applications like high-def streaming in really good quality, online gaming in great experience in real real-time experience. If we talk about connected cars, the IoTs in general, if we talk about automation, real-time manufacturing automation and robotics, we do talk about extremely latency-sensitive applications and processes. Just to give you a perspective, applications, all the types I just mentioned, starting with really high-quality live streaming. We're not talking about video on demand. We're talking about live streaming sports events, etc., in high def and even better than high def, where the experience is great and we all love this. And you can't easily cash it in advance. Exactly, yeah. yeah it's live. It's a Super Bowl. It happens now, right? Literally this millisecond, and I want to enjoy it in the best possible quality. And this is exactly what latency is for. So all these applications, they have one thing in common, lower than 35 milliseconds. It's getting lower and lower. It is. It I, in the world been. that I live in, put on my work hat, we're talking tens of microseconds. 
for latency. So yeah, and I think, you know, five years ago that people would have thought that was absurd over the internet. I mean, that's yeah. a, just a ridiculous unit of measure for the internet, which is this best effort network that, you know, kind of cobbled together. But you're right. It's it's like in order to run these more demanding applications or consume this more demanding content, we have to improve the linkages and interconnection is a way to do that. One of the things that so much is curious to me, but one of the things that, that you mentioned early on, you said there are two types of networks. There's the content producers and, the, and then there's the access networks, the content consumers. I agree with you that for the entire arc of the internet up until recently, that's probably been true. But now we're moving into a world, you mentioned connected cars, where the things in the world are producing massive amounts of content, maybe more so than things upstream, right? It's like my car or my jet engine or my video security cameras generating, you know, terabytes of data. How is this trend to moving from an internet of humans consuming content to machines talking to machines and machines generating content? How's that changing interconnection? We call it symmetry of traffic behavior. We saw this especially booming during the lockdown times and the COVID, the home office times, right? Where during home office, a lot of users, associates, right, of companies, they started producing heavy content, having volume because of the video conferencing, right? Yeah. All the schools, all the businesses, everybody's on video. It's smarter than the smartphone. It's actually an ecosystem itself with the thousands of sensors. And I will stay with your question on the connected car example, because it's so interesting. If we look into the data related to the connected car, 70% of the data produced in the car are not latency sensitive. Why? They can be uploaded later where the car is in the parking space, they are not latency sensitive. Okay. Let's look into the remaining 30%. Sure. 20 of those is car to cloud. Five, car to car communication. Mm -hmm. And the remaining 5% of the 30 is car to environment. That means all the sensors on the street and other IoTs in the environment. These 30%, they have something in common. Performance security in the best way possible. They are so latency sensitive. It's about real-time communication. It's about traffic lights. It's about avoiding accidents. It's about crucial performance communication. And this is why interconnection needs to get as close as possible and interconnection infrastructure to where the cars are, where the users are, or in general, where the IUTs are. This will change the world of how infrastructure is built. We will see interconnection platforms on the um, highway crossroads. We will see ex mini DKIX exchanges. And we'll, we as DKIX, we're working on this. Close place, close to a 5G cell tower. We are talking about spreading internet infrastructure, including micro data centers with mini exchanges in those almost everywhere, as close as possible where the users are. So DKIX is a platform for interconnection. Mm -hmm. And when I think of a platform, I think of a universal mechanism, right? So if I adopt a platform, I can do the same thing in Czechoslovakia that I can do in the United States. When you think of DKIX as a platform, is that one of its attributes that you've got a single interface to my interconnection? As I said, we, we run platforms, physical platforms okay, so physical for a platform. market. It's a very, very secure and a highly performable physical infrastructure behind this. 
huge routers or routers okay. at the size of the market requires. It depends on region by region. Um, as we have 40 different, New York is different from Palermo. Chicago is certainly different from Lagos in Nigeria or Phoenix is different from Mumbai. They all have certain specifics if it comes to market size and growth. What we have in common is that per market, we do operate a highly distributed physical infrastructure platform. That means we do have physical presences in different mm -hmm. data centers as we're data center neutral. We do not operate data centers. Data center operators are our partners. We also carry neutrals because the carriers, the ISPs are our customers, so we don't want to compete with our customers. We are entirely as DICX focused on the interconnection platform. So the platform is built per metro, creating a nice interconnection ecosystem. And the different platforms, and now I'm getting to, the, to your question or closer to, to what you have uh, expressed as an assumption, that the different platforms, they're also interconnected. And of mm. course, we, we perform and use a lot of automation these days. DigX, we do invest millions of dollars for software to make it as, as automated as possible for different networks to use it as as seamless as possible to interconnect, to, to, um, to see stats, to optimize their traffic exchange, which makes the platform also very virtual, very automated, let's say smart. So a network operator, of course, can use all the different DigX platforms with the same look and feel in the same way on one portal with APIs, with uh, a lot of script behind this. Yes. You know why? Because we at DigX, we believe that interconnection must be democratized. Tell me more about that. Why democratize? Because yeah. we have been doing this business for 27 years now. 24 years of those 27 were entirely wholesale industry focused. Just a okay. couple of years back, we started business relationships with enterprises, with car manufacturers, with banks, with retailers, with logistic companies. And they, these guys, their business is not telecommunications wholesale. Their business is the business of their industry segment. They just want to use this type of infrastructure for security and performance reasons. But they don't need to be experts in wholesale telecommunication. So we need to make it as easy as possible for them to enjoy the interconnection services. This is what I call democratization of infrastructure, that every single type of business on this planet can use also internet exchanges and interconnection in a seamless way without uh, entertaining hundreds of engineers internally as in-house staff and, and huge knowledge about this. It's similar to the, in the way what the hyperscalers did for compute. They democratize compute. And this is... Yeah, this is another type of IaaS. Instead of infrastructure as a service, this is interconnection as a service, which, as you point out, is infrastructure. That's really interesting. Okay, so you operate in 40 markets, you said, around the world today? Yeah. And in each of those markets, you've deployed routers and other networking hardware and then servers mm -hmm. to run your APIs and your software and all of that. So you have this physical infrastructure, but you don't actually own any data centers. You lease from co-location providers, I imagine. Do you have any fiber? Do you lease any fiber? Or you just everybody else has to bring the fiber to you? We just, we just use uh, dark fiber providers or layer two connectivity service providers, depending on the market, depending on the availability of services on that market. Preferably, we use dark fiber to interconnect the, 
different platforms and the different markets, they're also interconnected mainly on 100 gigabit circuits. Those circuits we buy and we lease from carriers, of course. This is the way the way how it works, as we are not carrier and ISP, as I explained. We are diggers. We're entirely focused on interconnection. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, you know, you have companies, and I don't mean to pick on them, but the most obvious, Equinix, where they have this interconnection fabric and all of this. And I wonder, I mean, it seems like your strategy is very different. Because when I think of Equinix, I think of like they have these fairly substantial points of regional presence. I see what you're doing. Like you mentioned like a local market, like in, in Dallas. How many different locations are you in in a metro like Dallas? That's a great question. In New York, around 20. Okay. And that's very different than these like major interconnection points. You know what the difference is? And I have been asked this question a couple of times already. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between Dikix and Equinix? Because Equinix has a great platform as well, right? They Mm -hmm. have their peering interconnection platform, cloud business exchange for cloud computing, etc. Similar features as we have as well. The major difference is we operate and allow access to our platform in all of the data centers we call enabled, right? Or in very simple words, if you ask me what's the difference between Equinix and Dikix, we have more data centers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) May only be a rack. Yeah. You have more points of presence. I like the more data centers though. That's very clever. Hundred. To share with you a couple of numbers, we do have more than 600 cities with data centers in those cities which are Dikix enabled. 600. How does this relate? Because the market, let's take New York as an example. The ecosystem in New York physically enabled in 20 directly with Dikix router and in 20 yeah. different data centers. As I mentioned initially, we do have a lot of partners. Also, layer two transport networks we call partners. They extend the reach of the ecosystem. So a smaller network, which is not in New York present in one of those 20 data centers, can also get access to the Dikix New York ecosystem, a network from Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, right? Using the extension of Dikix through a transport network. So so if I'm Philadelphia and I want to improve my connection to users Mm -hmm. in New York, one of the ways to do it would be to pay for dark fiber that I control that goes directly into centers. I need to take out tenancy of that data center in, you know, someplace in Manhattan where you're located. And then it's a physical connection, I imagine. Or... I could lease, just simply lease the fiber, and you would provide the termination, is what you're saying. Right. And then I'd get access to the whole ecosystem. Is that what they call remote interconnection? That's remote interconnection. I don't have any equipment in that facility. I'm just using a connection. Thank you for that. I've always wondered what remote interconnection meant. Absolutely. There are different terms describing the same thing, virtual access, virtual switch, whatever you call it. It's actually a remote interconnection extending the reach of an ecosystem. Yeah, because if I was in Philadelphia prior to DKIX, I might have to go up through Chicago or Virginia or yeah. some other place. Yeah. I see. And if you if you don't have the size as a business, you don't have the size, probably you don't want to use the CapEx and OpEx to be physically present in New York, in Manhattan, in Jersey right. or Long Island with your own point of presence in one of those bigger data centers there and enabled data centers for good reasons, your reasons, right? In this case, you can still use a direct interconnection. I can borrow your presence. That's exactly the point. And latency-wise, it's still in the range where it's okay. We're within the 35 minutes. Yeah, for a certain class of applications. You're right. That's very tolerable. Now, let's talk about in a metro, right? How do you plan how many spots you're going to have and where they're going to be and where you're going to start? Like, What drives your analysis of a market and your initial Mm -hmm. footprint? 
as I said, we want to make it as easy as possible for different type of network operators to connect to the platform. So we try to enable as many as possible data centers. Normally, criteria are density of networks. Criteria are potential for that density. And not only on the wholesale side, so network operators like ISPs, carriers on one side and CDNs and common networks on the other side, but also what I mentioned just a couple of minutes back, enterprise-heavy data centers. DigX is not a wholesale peering exchange interconnection platform only. We do provide different action services. Cloud exchange for cloud connectivity. We do have, for instance, some services like Maps, Microsoft Azure Peering Service, which is a layer two direct connectivity to Microsoft 365 applications, the Teams, the Microsoft Dynamics, ERP, CRM, Outlook, etc. Crucial applications for a lot of businesses, enterprises, organizations. So they can use directly the DigX platforms connecting to Microsoft 365. So also nowadays make our decision where to set up a router also based on enterprise density of customers in the respective data center. So actually the mix of different types of data centers. You have data centers where more enterprises are in, you have others who are more carrier hotels. So actually the mix makes it beautiful. Now, in a given market, so imagine you're geographically, right? You're spread across, I mean, Dallas is a huge market, right? And you're spread across, you know, probably 50 square miles. I don't know, some large area. The thing that drives you to go into, you know, six or seven or 20 locations in a market is the density of interconnection, where the enterprises are, and all those factors that you mentioned. Is there also a an element to, like, the specific local geography? And I know that 35 milliseconds, the distance between, you know, the data center, Infomart, downtown Dallas, and, you know, some other data center that's maybe 50 miles north doesn't really matter. But when you start looking at some of these, you know, connected car and real-time applications, does the, the fact that you've got many data centers within a local metropolitan region give you certain advantages in this new world where latency and privacy and security and guaranteed delivery is maybe more important than other things? This is certainly an advantage, the distribution, having more and more data center enabled. But at the same time, uh, we will not stop there. As I mentioned, our approach is to be present in first all relevant metros around the globe within the next three years, but also create different type of platforms from the size point of view for sure than the one in New York will be smaller, but also to create platforms in tier two, tier three, tier four markets, getting really deep into the edge, because this is what's all about. The cars, they drive everywhere. They do not decide on the data center latency point of view, should they drive further or not. At least we don't want to have this situation. People want to enjoy unlimited mobility and the internet infrastructure needs to follow and, and create the foundation for it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like mobility has certainly made an impact on the way we think of the presence. Like when you're delivering content into people's homes, the homes aren't going to move. <laughs> so you have a pretty predictable path. But when you're delivering stuff into people's cars or their mobile phones, they could be anywhere at any time. And you're right. They, I want the same high performance. I don't want my safety to go, to go down in my car because I drove another 10 miles past the interconnect point. Exactly. <laughs> You're living the secure area of the internet uh, connectivity performance. Stop driving now, right? <laughs> Is there a world, do you think, where you, see, you talk about pushing interconnection all the way out to the edge, and you mentioned these large companies like yeah. banks and stuff. Is, does it make any sense to actually push your interconnection fabric into the facility that your customer has? 
probably not a fabric great equipment, but we certainly we do have started projects where we will most probably working with partners, of course, on the SD1 layer, etc. We will have a program delivering access boxes into uh, on-prem, access boxes on-prem to customers where we can better cover the last mile, the last mile between their fabric, their manufacturing facility, whatever it is, their manufacturing facility, their campus, whatever it is, again, and the access to the um, interconnection infrastructure. So what I certainly uh, can imagine is that uh, Dekix will uh, deliver access boxes to enterprise customers, enabling them to connect from different branches and manufacturing facilities easier to the bigger layer and aggregation layer of interconnection. So when you, you look at this world we're moving into, where there's a lot of local interconnection, you know, one of the things, again, when you started, when you explained interconnection, you explained it historically, which is like there's content providers and they're central, and then there's users which are everywhere. And so we need to bring interconnection closer to the users. But when we're in this world where the devices are creating a lot of content, like the car, the 30% that needs to be going somewhere, and it probably needs to be processed locally, at least some of it. So you've got your cloud there too, probably. It seems to me that there's a new traffic pattern that might emerge, and maybe you're even seeing this, which is, I guess I'd call it east-west instead of north-south, but maybe it's not even east-west, but it's like it stays within the region because it doesn't have to leave. Are you seeing a trend that way? Localizing, as I said, for latency reasons, for security reasons, instead of pushing traffic around the globe and let it circling, right? This is first from the latency point of view, a nightmare. Second, from the security point of view, the shorter the path between the source and the device using or producing traffic, the better, right? From security and performance point of view. So the localization happens. And this is the driver for this edge infrastructure. Let's stay with this, with example of what you just mentioned, regionalization and edification of traffic patterns means that we will see more and more concentration of mini tier three, tier four cloud edge setups from the hyperscalers. They are projects which have been made public already, right? We do see setups from uh, companies like Facebook, Microsoft on the content side, not on the cloud side, it's only uh, Netflix, Amazon, etc. If it comes to different applications, they also offer, and not just the computer or the cloud business they do have, they have created at their end extremely flexible and agile edge setups already. So if this is the trend for obvious reasons, what is the missing piece? The edge interconnection platform aggregating all these different edge devices from Microsoft, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, etc., and interconnecting those with the local fiber guys, with the local ISPs in Iowa, in Oregon, in South Dakota, North Dakota, everywhere where we do not see today big hubs as we have those on the East or West Coast directly in cities like Miami, New York, LA, or Seattle, or the Bay Area. Dallas is, is a hub, but there is so much need to be deployed in the rural areas. Well, even out in the rural areas, you mentioned like Phoenix, which is a major U.S. city, but 
there isn't much interconnect. There wasn't until you got there, right? There wasn't much interconnection in Phoenix, not like Dallas or Chicago or Miami or any of these places that emerged historically. That seems inevitable, that the trend is going to bring more interconnection to more locations farther out into the edge, into these tier two, tier three, tier four cities. And I think it's really interesting that DKIX has, like, I think you're a leader in that. Like, you're almost starting outward in. You're saying, how far can we go? And then how can we bring it back into the rest of the internet? I think in the future, we need to develop these for the pieces of edge infrastructure. And it's not the DKX platform only. We need to see more edge data centers. Yeah. We need to see more fiber in the rural areas. Middle, middle and last mile investments are extremely crucial also for the economic growth of country. And serving the people disregarding where we live and work with the best possible quality of access to digital services. Because if you look at from the more altruistic point of view, right? A mm. good access to digital services today means also good quality of life because yeah. we so much depend on this. Economic growth at the end, I'm 1000% sure about this. Diversification of infrastructure is extremely important also for redundancy, resilience, security reasons. Look, we started the market on the East Coast, a platform in Richmond, where I believe Richmond has a close proximity to Virginia Beach, where a lot of Recently, now operational subsea projects, they do land, subsea, uh, subsea cables land, hmm. and we see a new traffic pattern in the Mid-Atlantic Corridor happening. Oh, so we yeah. need further diversification of platforms on the East Coast because Ashburn, New York, and Miami, they cannot do the trick. We need more and more ecosystems, even on the East and the West Coast. So it's not about should we have another one or two hubs. No, we need... Dozens of hubs and and thousands and hundreds of, not probably everywhere a real hub, but at least... Sure, uh, some place where networks can come together and, yeah. And you know why? I want to share this with you. I did an exercise analyzing the behavior of uh, network, network operation behavior of companies like Netflix and Apple. Just eight years back, eight to nine years back, they just give these two as example, Right. They didn't have a single own network point of presence globally. Ten years ago. Really? That's all happened in the last eight or... Yeah, yes. Yeah. They have their enterprise business, like producing great devices and providing great entertainment services, right? They yeah. were using for their traffic distribution and their application content distribution, CDNs, content uh, delivery mm-hmm. networks. Mm-hmm. Today... Apple and Netflix are still enterprises, but also they are global network providers. They have built their own network. They have presence in more than hundreds of different data centers around the globe. They're investing in their own global infrastructure. And, you know, we will see this happening with the banks, with the automotive companies, with the insurance companies, with the retailers, they will become global network operators as well. And this is an opening speech to a huge, exciting decade of new type of industry involvement. We are just at the beginning of a bombastic wave of how digital infrastructure will evolve and what type of new players we will see appearing. Good old names with an entirely new business model creating their own global network. Wow, that's a lot. There's a lot in there. So I actually, 
I, I won't mention his name, but he's somebody who has a lot of experience in, in deep into the internet and Nanog. And he said to me that his estimate, and nobody really knows the answer, but his estimate is 70% or more of the traffic that we think of as being on the internet is actually on private networks. <laughs> Which is fascinating because I still think of, and I think most lay people still think of, the internet as this you know giant public utility that's access to everybody. But what's really happening beneath the scenes is it's being optimized by a bunch of private businesses based on their particular needs. And this is what we'll see happening more and more. We will see organizations building their own internet. So a cloud provider might say. That's crazy. That's like owning your own data center. Why would you want to own your own network? We're better at doing that. You should use our network. So what do you think all these companies are going to be excited about owning a network? There will be a mix of both, of course, for controllability reasons. And they may lease all the equipment and just have control of it versus buying it and deploying it and operating it. I mean, is DKIX going to go into that business? Are you going to offer private network services? No, we offer services. We allow organizations already create their own connection, virtual, private environment. So they have a relationship with the transit no, no, providers. It's a different and- thing here. It's a different thing. We offer a concept and started offering this two years back, and a pretty new one. No, we call it closed user group. Closed user group is nothing else than a virtual private interconnection environment where a bank, where an automotive company can invite all the buyers and suppliers of data or the providers of data, let's stay with the automotive company, can invite all the different companies who want to deliver data into the car and use data out of the car or produced by the car to interconnect with the network of the automotive company in one private virtual environment. Let's call it a virtual platform of this automotive company and now it comes under the security and compliance policy of the automotive company so they can aggregate many to one under their controlled environment compliance controlled security controlled performance controlled and what will happen in the end is i'm not saying that an automotive company now will start and build a huge mobile network serving their cars with connectivity, they will still continue using Verizon, T-Mobile, you know, AT&T, providing the eSIM cards in the cars. But they will let them interconnect with the application providers at the other end under the automotive company's policy because they want to control the data journey. Controlling the data journey this will allow them assets or virtual assets so more value for their shareholders. And this is valid for all types of industry. We're just talking about automotive and finance, two examples, because they are kind of early adopters. We will see the desire and the demand for higher controllability, level of controllability on the data journey level from all different industry sectors as We don't have a company today which doesn't depend on from digital services. Even a company which produces entirely non-digital products, the processes of this company involved in manufacturing and delivery chain rely already on digitalization. So it's actually everywhere. 
Yeah, that's it's really interesting. I've never heard of private networks being applied in that sense. So it's really interesting from like the control of the experience sense, but it's also really interesting in the like the network of suppliers in a supply chain, right? Because you're right, your entire logistical network of a physical product requires a lot of a lot of input, a lot of like and, and that's gonna become increasingly real time and you're gonna increasingly wanna analyze it. That's a whole parallel universe to the internet. Look in one example, we're talking about creating digital assets and let's say creating a higher value for the investors, right? And the shareholders. It's also about reputation of a company today. Automotive examples are great because we all use cars, right? And if my internet connection and my Audi isn't very good, I'm going to blame Audi. <laughs> exactly. Imagine if you have paid 150 plus thousand for a luxury car, like the EQS of Mercedes, the fully electric one, the new S-Class. And you're sitting in the back and want to enjoy as a manager a team's call. And this team's call doesn't work. What do you think then? Mercedes did a bad job or Microsoft does a bad job? Of course you'll think about Mercedes and say, this car. Well, especially if my neighbor has a BMW and his team's works awesome. Then I'm definitely blaming. Yeah, that's really, that's, that's really great. Or even, even, even the more stupid example, like we all know this, this feature with the app on, on the smartphone where we, we just click on the button and the car gets unlocked or locked, right? If you click on that button, and nothing's happened. <laughs> right. what, what do you, how we feel? We feel bad. You push it we again. It's broken. Right. Yeah. You don't think that probably the application BMW, yeah. Ford, or Mercedes uses yeah. is not that well interconnected uh, between the AT&T mobile network and the cloud compute zone of Amazon. You, and don't, you don't really want to do care. You don't like want to care. You just want it to work. Yeah. Oh, this card doesn't do the trick. I don't like it. And this yeah. is exactly what they want. They want to make sure that they do not lose their quality promise. Yeah. So let's talk about quality for a minute because, you know, the internet is known as a best effort network, which is great because it's comparatively low cost of, you know, having a direct line somewhere, but you like, you throw your, your bytes onto the internet and you like hope they get to the place you need to in time. Uh, and they usually do, but not necessarily. But do you see a world where these big brands need to control that experience where, Every service, interconnection, transit, all these are going to start offering like guarantees and SLA backed kind of private internet services. Is that, do you see that? 1000%. It happens already. It is happens already. Tell me, can you give me an example? Dickix offers SLA on the map service. We do offer SLA on the peering already. We do offer SLA on our cloud exchange and cloud router service. This is reality already. Yeah, yeah. Because you're right. If you're going after that customer that cares about quality and performance, you have to deliver those things. That's Absolutely. really interesting. So you have an API. Does that mean that I can, for all intents and purposes, programmatically control my interconnection? Does that happen at machine speed? Is this like real time? Can I? It's real time. It's real time. Almost real time. And then are you are you providing me with telemetry so I can measure? Yes, and yes. No, our portal is extremely advanced. And as I mentioned earlier, we invest really substantial amount of, of money to develop a lot of code here. Two years ago, when I started the Over the Edge podcast, it was all about edge computing. That's all anybody could talk about. But since then, I've realized the edge is part of a much larger revolution. That's why I'm pretty proud to be one of the founding leaders of a nonprofit organization called the Open Grid Alliance, or OGA. The OGA is all about incorporating the best of edge technologies across the entire spectrum of connectivity, from the centralized data center to the end user devices. The Open Grid will span the globe 
and it will improve performance and economics of new services like private 5G and smart retail. If you want to be part of the Open Grid movement, I suggest you start at opengridalliance.org where you can download the original Open Grid manifesto and learn about the organization's recent projects and activities, including the launch of its first innovation zone in Las Vegas, Nevada. So let's switch some broad, a couple broad topics. Just you know, from and you've covered a lot of this, but I'm interested in thinking back. Like, what when you look out five years, what is our world going to be like? How do you see the world being different in five years? It will be a world which will use more and more digital services, as we can even imagine today. Further down the path, we're talking about the metaverse. We're talking about an internet of a new generation or digital services of a new generation where people will enjoy different virtualization, e-commerce will change, will become extremely augmented and uh, virtual reality driven. We will see in the business world further progress on processing on, on different solutions for any type of businesses relying on cloud compute, but also relying on digitalization and digital infrastructure. I see a world full of innovation. I see a world full of digital infrastructure and demand for digital infrastructure. Therefore, I do worry a bit that we will not be fast enough to develop this digital infrastructure as much as we can and everywhere, literally everywhere around the globe. At least this is our mandate and, and we'll not stop working hard every day to do this. Okay, so that's a great that's a great vision. What do you think the industry could do? Your peers, the governments, all that? Because you said we might not be able to build it out fast enough. Well, so first of all, what does that mean? I believe that there will be different beats in development of infrastructure, as this is a natural thing. We have seen this in the past 10 years as well. There are regions with, with less developed infrastructure. I hope we will be able, at least for a solid foundation, to close this gap. Probably not every single region would have, will have the high end, but at least a solid foundation for good experience on digital basic services or state-of-art services should be delivered. And I see one thing which might happen further. I believe that certain gaps on the infrastructure level, which cannot be closed by wholesale market participants today, they will be closed by other market participants. And I want to give the example of what happened with the subsea cable business. The subsea cable business, just five years back, were mainly controlled by incumbents, the telcos. They invested in subsea cables. And we saw that they do not invest or they didn't invest that fast. So there was a risk to have a shortage there. Literally, within just two years of time, we saw huge projects where Microsoft, Facebook, Google, and, and, and further, they started investing the millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars, building their own subsea cables just to make sure that there is no shortage. And you know what? This will happen also with industry giants like banks, etc. It started to happen. There was an announcement for a first subsea cable by a huge bank from the United States of America across the Atlantic Ocean for latency purposes. So these kind of gaps and what I predict is that in the future we will see new type of players investing actually in infrastructure built we call automotive, we call finance, we call retail. They will, they will get their hands on this as well if 
the legacy industry stakeholders will not be able to make these investments on time. And I think one of the interesting things that we've talked about that doesn't get talked about very much is this, like, the regional and local characteristics of the internet, this, like, physical, spatial quality to it. And imagine that some some locations are more advanced than others. Some cities are creating the demand for these new services and these SLA-backed type networks and private networks and all that. Where in the world, like, specifically city level, are you seeing the most innovation? For sure, we do see a lot in, in the U.S. happening on the, on the West and the East Coast, but also Asia and Europe. Actually, one of these three different, so I'm talking about East Asia, countries like Korea, Japan, a lot of things are happening. China, for for obvious reasons, they have companies from China, they have done also a good progress. But we do see, fortunately, this happen in, in Europe and still to a very high degree in the U.S., on the East and West Coast mainly. No specific cities that you want to name? Ah, cities. It's, it's hard to say cities uh, Interesting. for innovation because, you know, the companies who do provide innovation or create innovation today, they are global operators. They have their different centers. They have different campuses around the globe already as giving one example, Volkswagen, the car manufacturer, they have created their digital innovation excellence centers in Barcelona. Mercedes in Lisbon, in Portugal. We do see campuses of Apple, Amazon, and Google around the globe where cool things are designed and happen. So it's really hard to say that's the Silicon Valley. There are many different Silicon Valleys nowadays around the globe. India is an inspiring example. Oh, Dickix Mumbai became number one in Asia within four years of operations. We passed on all the other platform operators in Singapore, Hong Kong, you name it, just within four years. The market is like a rocket. It's amazing to see how India grows in terms of digitalization and services. And I predict this will be one of the big, big stars in the future in terms of concentration of innovation and digital infrastructure, but also services. I agree with you. I think some of the most amazing innovations are coming out of India. It, there's a lot of really smart, educated, <laughs> less expensive, which encourages business, doing just amazing innovations. So, Ivo, this has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much. If people want to find out more about DKICS or connect with you online, how can they do that? Well, there are so many different options. Just visit the DKIX website on the de-cix.net. Feel free to join my LinkedIn profile as well. I try to answer all the questions there, but the DKIX website is probably yeah. the most. And I like your blog. Your blog's nice, so you should read the DKIX blog. So, Evo, thank you very much for joining us on Over the Edge. You're very welcome. It has been exciting talking to you and looking forward to catching up in person very soon. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell Technologies. Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com.